Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the E3 Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. We have Sean McStay on to tell you a little bit more about him. So if you've been listening to his podcast, he's had some great guests to get to talk about them, but let's talk about what you're up to. So Sean, tell us who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, so my name is Sean McStay. I'm the host of the Better Construction Podcast. Um, my it's my my fun project that I do on the side. My my real job, as I say, is um, uh, I work for Sega North America. I manage the team in Canada, uh, and we sell a lot of tapes and membranes for high performance building envelopes. That's awesome. So there are a lot of people who are listening in from Canada. So it's great to have uh, some Canadian representation because sometimes we do things or have things in the U.S. that you guys don't have access to. Although my experience thus far has been that Canada's doing the building science thing a little bit better than we are. Um, and so we'll start in with, with some some SEGA and SEGA tapes. Um, we have a, a local rep here called Tape Ninja Ken, if you follow him on, on Instagram. And one of my favorite things about SEGA is that Ken will come to a job site and he will go through the install of all the tapes and materials that you have. Um, so, so talk a little bit about SEGA. Uh, I'm assuming that isn't just a Ken thing, that that might be something that your company tries to highlight. Yeah, definitely. Well, Ken's a pretty special guy. We're, we're very fortunate to have Ken with us, but definitely that is a uh, SEGA uh, bred into us right from training. So SEGA, for anyone who doesn't know, is a Swiss company. So it's been family owned and operated since 1966, since we make all of our stuff in Switzerland. Uh, but we do business in about 30 countries around the world, and we have just over 500 employees. Uh, the interesting thing about SEGA is that of those 500 employees, like over 300, I believe, are what we call trainers and application advisors. And so other companies will call those sales reps and, you know, full disclosure, they do sell product. Uh, but their main job is to go out to job sites, to go to architects' offices, to go, you know, trade shows uh, when we can do those and do the training required to install the product correctly. Because we believe very strongly that you can have the best product in the world. And we think that we quite often do. But if it's not installed correctly, it doesn't matter. People have just spent money on a product that isn't going to live up to what it was designed to do. So the, the training side of things is super critical for us. And that's actually one of the reasons why everybody who works at SEGA, whether you're in HR, accounting, manufacturing, pretty much everyone has to start as a trainer for six months first. And they learn about uh, what the customer needs, what the customers are using the product for, you know, how we can improve that. And then we take that knowledge and uh, improve as we go. So I would say in my market, uh, SEGA My Best is probably one of the things that I see most often, both uh, staple up and fully adhered membranes. In fact, I just shared a photo on my Instagram this week of a project that we have in the city of Portland that we put uh, My Best up on the house, we did a double stud wall. So I wanted to make sure that it was a breathable enclosure. Um, and so I actually had somebody reach out to me the other day. They're just trying to getting started and asking the right questions, which I love. I try to, if I'm available, answer any of those questions that people have while they're just in the starting process. Um, generally that means eventually they come back around and they work with me either on a consulting or architecture basis, but 
uh, my primary focus is just to sell building science to people uh, to build better things, right? We need to not just do things better, but do better things, right? Uh, as Christoph would say. And um, so my vest is one of the things that that I use a lot with double stud walls so that it's breathable. But um, you have a whole line of smart, uh, smart vapor enclosures or smart enclosures. I don't know how people people call them. So so what are some of the, the top ones that you see um, either in Canada or is it different in the United States versus Canada? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of good, good question on both parts. So I'll add to the second part first. There are differences between the U.S. and Canada. We definitely see a little bit more self-adhered in the U.S. than we do in Canada. That hasn't really taken off here quite as much as it has for you guys, um, but it's it's growing here as well. Um, but as far as the, the different membranes that we offer for creating these air and watertight envelopes, um, one thing that we really focus on at SEGA is that we want customers to use just the right amount of products. And so you could build a, a wall assembly that has all of our products in it and it would perform great, but your, your project might not need that. Um, so we really focus in on, you know, what's the goal of the project? You know, is it a passive house? Is it net zero? Is it just, you know, a, a better house? You know, you're just looking for slightly better performance. And then we can build out the, you know, the envelope from there. Um, on the exterior side, you know, you mentioned my vest. We have my vest 200, which is the mechanically fastened. Um, maybe, you know, something that people might be more familiar with is like a Tyvek commercial wrap. It's going to be kind of like that. It's very durable. It's airtight. It's watertight. Uh, it's a little bit more breathable than the Tyvek, but, you know, that's kind of its its realm. Uh, the MyVest 500 is the fully self-adhered, still breathable, but fully adhered is used on, you know, big commercial projects, small houses, everything in between. Um, and then we also do have a MyVest 700, which is black. It's for uh, UV stable for open joint facade rain screens. But on the inside, we have a really interesting product called Myrex. And so when people think of vapor barriers, quite often they think of poly. And depending on how your wall assembly is built, poly is quite often fine, as long as your wall can breathe to the outside. And depending on your climate, obviously, I'm from the north, so that's my uh, my view that I look at. If we're building you know, in Atlanta, that's going to be a very different conversation. Um, but quite often, poly is okay. But in situations where poly is not going to work, like maybe your wall can't breathe to the outside very well, um, or you're building an interior air barrier and you need something very durable, then we have a really cool product called Myrex. And so Myrex is basically a smart vapor control layer, which there are others on the market that are great as well. But the unique uh, twist for Myrex is that it's directional. So provided you install it the correct way on the wall, and we're we're pretty specific about that in our install guides, um, it will allow the wall to breathe a little bit uh, when you have moisture buildup in there, but it won't allow your condition space to add more moisture into your wall assembly. And so that's a challenge that sometimes people worry about with smart membranes. And so because Myrex has that directionality to it, it uh, kind of eliminates that possible concern. So um, Sega here in, in Maine uh, for, for us is sold by the Performance Building Supply and the owner of that company, Steve Constantino, and I have talked about it where I would love to see a, a it's like a building package, right? So you're building a house, here's your whole package, right? Here's your exterior water control layer. If you need an interior vapor control layer, if you need a uh, fen trim or if you need whatever you need in, in addition to it, it's like, here's the this whole package and how it works together because um, 
when we get together in some of our building science discussion groups, people who are maybe new to the building science realm or something um, will say, well, how do I know what's the right product to use? Right. Yeah. They can use all of your products, but you know, if, if I send a, a, a set of plans to, to Ken, could he do a whole overview of it and go, okay, you've got this, you need this here, this here, this here, blah, blah, blah. And here's your package. Right. And so Steve can show up in his Prius for the builder and say, here are your control layer, you know, things. Now, granted that requires you to have that extra layer of somebody reviewing something kind of beforehand. But I feel like this is a thing that should become a thing, right? If then that, right? Like if you have this package, you you need these things. If you have the, and obviously every every one is different, right? And and if we could if we could get to more standardized construction, things would become more cost effective, right? So we haven't really talked about the whole cost effective thing. It's like if we built the same house repeatedly, it would get more cost effective. But everybody wants modifications. I mean, even I sell semi-customizable plan sets because very rarely does somebody want a plan set that is exactly the same. And it could be for a very simple reason, which is something else I talk about a lot on my podcast, which is not all lots are created equal, right? Like this might not work on your lot. You might not have the right orientation. You might not have the right access. You might have too much slope and need a basement, or you might have not enough slope and, and not be able to get a basement, those kinds of things. But um, do you think that's something that we could see happen in the future? Like a whole package grouping, right? Some, somewhere where like you guys have some great materials that you've put together that help to educate people on knowing what to use. Like, is it, is it like buying a kit of parts? (laughs) It's like, here's your whole box of things that you're going to need on this project. Yeah. I mean, it it definitely is possible. Um, And, you know, we have kind of our our different Sega wall assemblies that we've designed out and and you can use Um, the challenge with it. And and where I personally think uh, some other uh, manufacturers that really focus in exclusively on like, this is the way, this is the only way to build this wall assembly um, is that that doesn't work for every project. Projects have different performance goals. They have different design needs. They're, like you said, in completely different places on different lots. Um, and so that that does become a bit of a challenge to kind of create that one-size-fits-all package. Um, we certainly try and address that at SEGA by doing takeoffs and doing wall calculations and really being as actively involved in the projects as we can uh, to support that. Um, one area that we are starting to see that take place, though, well, actually two things. One is in... Uh, pre-manufactured components, uh, so wall assemblies or all the way to modular buildings. Um, we definitely are seeing kind of uh, companies standardize, you know, we're going to use the SEGA system on the exterior, we're going to do, you know, whatever it is on the interior. Um, so that's definitely something that's happening. So the other place where that's happening is uh, in BC, where I live, we have uh, basically a new code that's coming out called Step Code. 
And so there's five different levels of step code that are coming out over however many years, up till 2032, everyone will be on step five. And so with that, our local reps have worked with builders to be like, okay, what step are you on? Okay, you're on step two. Okay, well, you're going to tape your sheathing and you're going to tape off your base joint and that's going to get you your air tightness goal for a step two home. And then the next builder, oh, you're step four. Okay, well, now you're going to be using my vest. You're going to be taping all your seams, tape over your staples, do that base joint, tape your windows, and, and now you're going to hit step four. So I think as these codes and standards become uh, more prevalent, we'll be able to say, okay, this is a passive house wall assembly, or this is a net zero wall assembly. Um, but in between then and now, it's it's very project specific. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. And um, one of the hardest things in the industry, right, is getting the products available to the people who use them in an easy way, right? So so what is probably the most effective way for for that to happen, right? So if you have an architect, but a lot of building is done without an architect. So if you have an architect, your architect could specify that. But then even if I specify it, if it's not easy for somebody to get, they don't do it. So it's fairly easy for us to get it here because I know where I can get it from. And so I'll write right on the drawings like, hey, I'm specifying Sega, you know, this product, um, certainly, you know, or an approved equal if for some reason, you, you know, like you said, there are lots of there are lots of companies out there who, who do maybe some, well, not lots, there are a couple, there are a few companies who do similar, uh, you know, smart membrane type systems or similar products, tapes, things that you do. Um, but I can say, you know, hey, you can get this from Steve at Performance Building Supply. Just send him the drawings and either he'll review it or Ken will review it. Someone will review it for all the stuff, whatever. And he'll he'll get it to you. But what do you find is the most challenging or what would be would be better for you to get in front of the builders who are actually using the products? Yeah, so it, it definitely is challenging. We're limited a little bit by our scope. I mean, when I started with Sega, uh, I guess about six years ago now, I was it for Canada. Like, Canada was me. So that's uh, a pretty wide area to try and uh, take care of everybody that's looking for things. And we've, you know, we've built the business since then. We've got about 10 people in Canada now. Uh, but even 10 people in all of Canada is a challenge. Um, one thing that we are doing, though, is we're building out our capacity for online. I mean, part of that is obviously due to the current situation that the world is in. Um, but we're building out our online training capacity so we can still try and be as hands-on as possible with people, um, but also our online shipping and web shop capacity. So we have a web shop. So if you have a builder uh, like Travis, uh, you know, in Kansas City, and he, we don't have a rep there, and maybe we don't have a dealer there that has the product, um, he still has access to the web shop. He can go in, pick out the Sega products that he wants. If he needs some technical support, we have reps to help him. Uh, remotely, and then he orders his product. It ships out from the warehouse. It's a little bit longer of a lead time, maybe than what you would experience, but it's not weeks or weeks or months coming from Switzerland. It's it's stocked here, and we're able to ship it out in kind of like three to five business days. So we're we're trying to address that as much as we can, but certainly the the scope of potential people looking for this it does make that a bit challenging. Yeah. So when Travis and I were on your podcast, since you brought up Travis, we talked about trade shows and, and, and some other things. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out was we had this crazy idea that you just drop into different job sites and you do a short video of an actual install in the field, right? So so Travis is the contractor. I'm the architect. Um, 
I think it would be awesome to put a QR code on my drawing that's like, I spec this product, here's somebody in the field actually using it, right? Because there's the whole, you know, training in a facility or whatever, like, oh, that's great, but those are perfect conditions indoors 70 degrees, where we could have, you know, a couple of different, like, here's this guy who we know, you know, it's Travis, and it's in Kansas City, and you know, maybe it's a hundred degrees outside and they're installing, you know, some, some product or, or something. Um, I think it would be awesome to just like drop in on some projects that, you know, are using SEGA tapes. Um, that would be so much fun. And I, I'm really, somebody else posted about a QR code in construction and there was a ton of, uh, positive response and lots of people who wanted this. So, so, uh, anybody listening to your podcast who knows how to build apps, right? I feel like we just need a technical person to make it happen because there's there's lots of content. There just needs to be a storage device and somewhere to do it. And I think for products specifically, um, you know, since that's the field that you're in, that would be really great because it's like you get a roll of something on the job site. Um, I love Randy Williams. So, hey, shout out to Randy Williams. Um, if people aren't following him, where he'll say like, I got all of these tapes and I'm going to use them here and I'm going to trial it out and I'm going to tell you how it goes. And it's like, oh man, this one tape is really sticky, right? And so maybe that's good in an application or maybe that's bad in an application, right? Because you're on the job site using it. That would be great for both architects specking a product. Like, I don't want this to be a lot harder for this builder or he's either not going to do it or never going to do it again. Um, so as far as product manufacturers, that, that would be awesome. Like short clips of, of installs, but, um, you know, yeah, then I think we're, we're, we're kind of part way there with Sega. I mean, we do have QR codes on the boxes of product, uh, that if you, if you, know, if you, if you bought your Sega and you bring it to your job site, we've got a QR code. If, if you click it on your phone, it'll send you to a YouTube video showing you how to install that product. Uh, so that's a little bit of the way there, but again, that's a, you know, company made video on a controlled job site or in a controlled situation. So it's, it's maybe not quite as, as real as what you're looking for. I love the idea. I definitely passed that idea along and I'm hoping we're going to be able to do uh, more of those kind of job site drop in videos, um, you know, as, as soon as we can really. Uh, but definitely the, the, the more hands-on we can get with the customers, the more we learn on how to improve the product. Um, but also the more, customers are able to kind of trust what they're seeing and, and really understand what the product is doing. Um, I love personally seeing the people who test these products uh, on Instagram or on, you know, TikTok now or at different social media sites. I think it's fantastic. Um, I do think we have to be just a little bit careful with it sometimes, though, because, you know, what might look good on, on a test um, isn't always backed up by, you know, the actual science of the product. Um, one of the things that we do at SEGA, actually, when we have people into our uh, lab in Switzerland or when we go there for training ourselves when we're a new employee, is they take different tape samples with no, you know, wording or anything on them. And some of them are SEGA, some are competitive, but there's it's, they're blank on the back. And they say, okay, which one's stickier? And, and so we grab them and we, we, we stick them to our thumb, you know, the typical test. And we say, oh, this one's this one's probably the stickiest. But then they actually take those samples and put them into a controlled machine on a proper substrate like wood or concrete or whatever they're designed for. And they say, well, actually, that one that felt really sticky isn't actually as sticky in long term is, is nowhere near as sticky as this other one that maybe didn't feel that way. So 
I always have that small hesitation with kind of the experiments and stuff. Like we have to make sure that these aren't the be all end all for people. Some, uh, you know, people online will kind of push that a little bit too hard, but I love the actual experiential stuff out in the field where people are trying the product on a job site. I think there needs to be more of that for sure. Yeah, I can definitely understand why a slightly more controlled environment or or even with a, a SEGA rep on site that you know you're installing the product on where it needs to be. Um, so I actually have a request because I, as the architect, am not the person that buys the materials for the job site. So I didn't know that you had QR codes on your boxes. And so can you make the QR codes available to architects to put in the drawing set beforehand before they get the box so that we can just take that QR code, put it on there. And the builder's like, what is this Sega Fentrim that I'm supposed to use on whatever, right? And they can, oh, oh, okay. Hey, oh, that's cool, right? And they can see it kind of beforehand as a as almost a precursor of, of the whole, you know, client education. Like, yeah, that architect's asking me to do something totally weird. Like, why am I doing that? Oh, okay. Like, here's this short video of them installing it. That That's great. Um, I feel like that might be... And that then goes to the job site too, right? And so if you don't have the box or you do have the box, but you're not sure which product is supposed to go where, on the drawing, it's calling it out and it's saying, like, I need you to put this between the sheathing and the concrete foundation, and they click on that and they're like, oh, that's that specific install, right? Because your products can be used in different locations, right? So yep. so the installs related to where they go in the field, I think could help. Um, we're actually talking tonight on the BS and Beer show. So this podcast will come out after it. So go back and watch the replay about communicating high performance details from the drawings to the actual contractors. And so I think that's another level. It would be awesome, especially as more architects are leading a charge on the construction industry, maybe to, to, I don't know that we are, I think there are builders out there who are leading the charge too, but for the architects who are pushing that way, um, I really think that would be a great addition to what's available on a drawing set is, you know, hey, here's this QR code. Like, it's showing you, you know, even if it's in the factory, showing you a SEGA installer installing this between two materials. That'd be yeah, awesome. I, I agree. And I think that's something we can totally do. Um, I, I don't mean, know if how, you, how fast. Yeah. Right, my, if my, you my, have my, them available already, right? It's just we, a matter of... QR codes available for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I, my marketing team will probably get mad at me for saying this, but I'm sure we can do that. Um, but I don't know exactly how quick, but yeah, we can definitely get that going. And I agree. I think it makes hundred percent sense. Um, yeah. So when, and when you were on my podcast, you were talking about kind of the importance of 2d versus 3d and, you know, some people don't uh, look at 2d drawings and, and it's hard for them to conceptualize how that goes. Um, we find that to be very true, especially when you're looking at taping details, uh, certainly in like the window detail specifically, it's, it's quite difficult in a 2d drawing to understand exactly where those tapes go. And so in a lot of our new guidelines, we've actually switched to 3d renderings. And so we also have those available for architects to be able to kind of snap and throw into a, a drawing and, you know, include alongside your window schedule, for example, uh, to be able to see exactly how the tapes layer and how they go together for, you know, these kind of more challenging window install details. 
I think that's really important because sometimes a 2D drawing just doesn't get you all the way there, right? So it's it's kind of showing you the line in this cut perspective, but that's not showing you like how to get around a corner or how to handle it in, you know, the three-dimensional scope uh, versus for a plan detail. So I think those three-dimensional pieces are starting to become a lot more important um, in, in how to actually install. But you mentioned being on your podcast, which reminded me that I wanted to ask you about this. So Travis and I got to talk about what we thought the future of um, of going to conferences and virtual conferences would be. But from a manufacturer's perspective, right, you're there trying to get your product in front of other people. So from both the virtual response and from the uh, in-person, what would be what do you see the future of these trade conferences being and, and how do you think that we could interact better with you? Um, as, as, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's going to be challenging. I mean, obviously this is all assuming once we get back to a little bit more normal of a, of a state. Um, I think that the conferences have already started to switch to the point where the education side is much more important than the actual trade show floor. And so I think that's going to continue. The, the, the ability for people to get together and network and have the education uh, sessions, uh, that's, that's what people go to conferences for now almost exclusively. From a manufacturer standpoint, we have a certain uh, onus on us to support those uh, conferences. Um, so I think we're going to have to find a way to do that that isn't just selling you know, space in a trade show booth that people really try and avoid for the most part. Um, and, and, you know, make those a little bit more experiential as well so that people can come to your booth and do something, uh, which we also talked about. But I think that's important. Um, but one thing that, you know, for SEGA we've started doing is we've started kind of hosting events um, as an opportunity for people to learn. And we work with sometimes our, just ourselves, sometimes with other like-minded manufacturers. Um, but we find that the investment in that to have somebody come to an event, uh, do the hands-on stuff, you know, when we can actually bring them to Switzerland, show them the factory, show them why we do the things we do. Um, that is much more impactful than spending a whole bunch of money to go to IBS and have a booth and, you know, get 30 seconds of everybody's time. We get two days of everybody's time. Um, and we can also bring in some guest speakers and, and, you know, different things like that. So that it really kind of adds more value to the customer. Um, because I think like I've been selling construction products for over 15 years now, um, and when I started, it was much more, you know, an architect or a builder might come to you because they want to learn about the product. They want to know what sizes are available. They want to know, you know, what details and such. And that's all available online. And we're really not necessary for that. Um, where we really need to look at adding value as manufacturers is on the education side of things, um, on the networking side of things, and really just connecting people with the information that they're looking for that isn't product specific. It isn't just, you know, our goal with a conference isn't to get people to buy more SEGA. Our goal is to have people educated on why high-performance envelopes are important, and then hopefully they will, you know, come to SEGA and make use of the tools that we have and buy the product. Obviously, we're for profit company we're doing that as a goal but it's not a direct uh thing like we don't want to sell people that day we want to educate people and help the you know the basically the built environment progress to the fact where our products are necessary 
Yeah, I think one of the things I said on your podcast was that pop-up workshops, I think, would be awesome. So if you're going to do, like, a lunch and learn in an architecture office, like, bring some tape that I can play with, right? Because, you know, we've all been there for the, like, here's the material and, like, I'm going to show you this slideshow or whatever. But hands-on is how a lot of people learn, right? Um, and, and that's just as good for architects. Like if, the, if this thing's going to be so complicated to install, no one's ever going to install it. And then you're going to be that architect. You'll be like, oh man, they did all this stuff that was just really complicated. We're not doing that. Um, so I love the idea of the pop-up workshops, um, you know, in the the emo, emu passive house classes where they actually do the passive pods and they build stuff and they take stuff apart like that. That's invaluable for for both tradespeople who actually are going to have to install it. And for, you know, those of us who, who call for it, like, how does this detail actually work? Okay. And that's going to make drawing it better, you know? So I think as far as where you go to learn about products and how to do things, you're totally right. In the trade conference as an architect, half the time I walk around with my head down, I don't want to pick, you know, the people who pick up the pens aren't the people who are buying your products. <laughs> so uh, I don't want all of this stuff, right? If I'm a high performance contractor, I'm also potentially trying to cut down on the amount of stuff I have in my office. And like you said, so much of the stuff that I need to know is available on your website, right? So I'm not going to my bookshelf like we used to do in the 80s and 90s and flipping through a book and and all of that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to the website. So your book could sit on my shelf and just collect dust for however long, right? And so in theory, you have to provide marketing materials for certain things. But at the same time, like, is it a waste of money to, you know, to hand certain things out to people who are just going to hopefully recycle them? We'll say they're going to recycle them. You know? <laughs> That's definitely the goal. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and one thing that Sega is doing in North America specifically that we haven't tried uh, too many other places yet is we're opening these uh, high performance learning academies. And so we've got one out actually with Ken out in your neck of the woods. And then we're just opening one in April here in BC. And so these are training centers with full-size mock-ups, with classrooms, and then also ideally with some partner companies, you know, that might be doing ventilation or windows or those types of things um, where people can come and take classes and they're sponsored by SEGA and they're able to learn. And, you know, depending on the location here in BC, um, our builders have to have a certain number of continuing education credits every year to keep their license. And so we have our presentation certified and we're able to... Uh, uh, do that as well. So I think that those types of kind of, like I said, experiential type uh, things where people are, are experiencing something, they're using the product, it's hands-on, it's not just a sales pitch, they're actually learning something. Um, I think that's definitely the way to go for manufacturers. Yeah. And I think strategic micro learning centers around the country is going to be really huge for you guys because the hardest part, and one of the things that we talked about during the training and, and, you know, what makes things accessible and not accessible is, um, you know, it's hard to take however many days off work, right? So, cause right now everybody's busy, right? Taking a day off work right now, is just that it seems crazy. Um, and that, then, okay, so now I've decided to take the time off, but now I've got to travel to this conference, right? I've got to travel to, you know, somewhere that's however far away, and I've got to get a hotel, and I've got to feed myself, and I've got to pay for the conference and, and all that stuff. And so 
in some ways, the barrier to to getting the learning experience is having to go there. So so like the one that Ken has here is actually kind of ideally suited because it's not in Boston, but it's close enough to Massachusetts and Boston that people can easily get there, but also close enough to Maine that the people in Maine can get there, which is really nice. So it's kind of a good location that's not in either one of those spaces, but not too far away. Like when I took the passive house course, um, what was available to me was New York city and that I, I, it was knowledge that I really wanted. And so I went, but having to go downtown New York city to take the class was really cumbersome. And then the facility for the construction training, which I would have also really liked to take because I'm a hands-on learner, let's learn the next level of this thing, was like out in some warehouse somewhere that was even harder to get to than downtown. And so that I think can be a barrier to people learning is just location. You know, it's, I talk a lot about panelized construction and micro factories, and that would be great because, you know, the, the barrier to people doing some things is just location. But at the same time, you can't build a million of these facilities because it costs you money to build them. So um, probably the most important thing about architecture is location, 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 right? <laughs> so yeah. I think the same is, is with training facilities and different um you know, different trade shows that happen during the year is making it, making it a place that more people can, can get to. And that's the one thing that I like about the virtual is it's easy to get the continuing education you need by, by going to a virtual class, but that I don't think that they can be all day, like in-person conferences, because I mean, you go to a session that really interests you and then you don't watch any of the rest of the sessions that day. And I personally felt that the trade show floor was not something very interactive, right? And it was really easy to just skip that part, which for you yeah. guys was was detrimental, right? Because you, you know, you wait around for people to ask questions or you pay a certain amount of money to participate in it. And then, you know, you have one or two people come by your booth and that's not great interaction for you. So, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to take up all of your day. Um, I'm going to take a note from your podcast and say I'm a reader, too. And so I should have been more prepared uh, on, on your podcast of what my book recommendation would be. But personal business or building science book, um, you know, what's at the top of the list for people to read? Uh, there's so there's too many. Um, my, my wife would, uh, would agree with this that I, I buy too many and read too many books. But um, books that I've read recently that I really enjoyed, I uh, read uh, not too long ago a book called The Ride of a Lifetime. And it's an autobiography by Bob Iger. Uh, and he was the CEO and chairman of Disney. And so it talks about his uh, kind of experience uh, working at NBC for many years, and then they were acquired and then working his way up through Disney and working with Steve Jobs on Pixar and all the things that they did together. And then also the Star Wars uh, purchase with uh, George Lucas. And so I just thought that um, although he's, he's, he's a little bit of a fan of himself, you have to kind of understand that going into the book. Um, but it was a really interesting storytelling um, and learning about those situations. So for someone like me that, you know, has a real business mindset and that's what I do daily, um, that definitely was a great book that I read recently. 
Awesome. That's great. Um, so anyway, I appreciate you taking the time to to chat with me a little bit. Um, we're obviously a big fan of Sega over here um, and, and what you guys are bringing to the table, uh, you know, and, and manufacturers similarly who are doing um, better things to help the building science community, especially as we're bridging the gap between traditional construction and you know, super high-end living building challenge type construction, you know, like where do we meet in the middle and how do we make this easier to achieve for more people? So I appreciate what you guys are doing and I love the podcast. Thanks for tuning in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guests, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out emily at matramarch.com. You can find me on Instagram, matramarch, or on LinkedIn, Emily Matram. And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy.